Hello, welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, last episode we were discussing essentially the church's reaction to sexual abuse to children. And the Pope had the gathering of all the bishops in February, and we're just kind of continuing the conversation as here in America, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury kind of came out and just brought up all kinds of events over really the last 75 years or so and didn't dive into all the statistics all the way, but nonetheless exposed a significant problem that is not just in the church, but is actually a global issue. And as you explained in the last episode, that it's less likely to be a priest causing it, statistically speaking, than a member of the family. And that's that's a situation. So one of the reasons that Pennsylvania had, was being the first in something, which is for people who live in Pennsylvania, pretty rare, um, is because of the Penn State situation and how that was just a, a, at one point, a national, if not international story with what Sandusky did. And that, and then we went through how the church normally is slow to adjust things. And one of the conversations we'll have down the road, um, once we get done with some of the other podcasts we had was how long it took the church to implement some of the things from Vatican II. Um, and that changed a whole bunch of stuff. And to talk about how quickly the church implemented the decisions from 2002 when Dallas, the Dallas results happened, is a testament to how important the problem was. Um, but it seems that as with most things, when you're trying to address a very big question or a very big problem, you're going to come up with some good answers, but you might not cover 100% of the situation. And where we left off with the last conversation was one of the spots that was not completely covered was the issue of bishops hiding things. And part of that was, as I made the analogy, is bishops are equal with each other. There is no one bishop's higher than another bishop. The governor of Georgia is the equivalent of the governor of Oklahoma and Rhode Island. They're equals to each other, and they don't have jurisdictional power over each other. So that was part of the reason for having this conversation here uh, over in Rome. And as you mentioned, the Pope's initiative that he gave to the church was to be, we're not just going to fix it here internally, but we're going to create a precedent and an ability to try to eradicate this problem throughout the world. And to go a step further, as we were mentioning before this episode, is when the church and Judaism took this issue on way long ago in terms of children's sacrifice and human sacrifice in general, it was very successful. And there was a lot of um, spiritual praying that happened. And I think one of the most remarkable things that people still talk about today was actually the Lady of Guadalupe. She essentially stopped the entire, I might mix up with Empire, either the Aztec or the Mesopotamian Empire, from doing human sacrifices, particularly to children, virtually in a three-year span. And it might take that kind of 
divine revelation again or but definitely prayer being a part of this. So I don't want to take your thunder out of any of of your second parts on the comments here, but with it being an important topic, I definitely wanted to, to give it to cast here. Yeah. Uh, great summary. Thanks for bringing that out and letting me know that my lengthy monologue in the first cast uh, didn't fall on deaf ears, but you, uh, you followed that and hopefully our, our listeners did too. And you gave a, a great summary of that. The only uh, slight modification I would say is the, the the grand jury report actually had nothing to do with the Sandusky situation. Well, no, I'm not saying it did, but that's what caused the radar of people up in Harrisburg to start looking. It wasn't not. not, No, actually it's totally unrelated. And, and that's part of the problem um, is that the, the focus has been uh, a little bit unfairly on the church uh, well, actually, very unfairly on the church. Let me say, say that. Um, no, the um, what what happened with the the grand jury was they they investigated uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia sort of followed after Boston as being a, a, a center of focus, uh, and they actually put a Monsignor in jail for covering up sexual abuse. Uh, so the the Philadelphia grand jury that was just a grand jury report focused on the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I can't remember when that happened. Two thousand six or so or eight? No, it must have been. No, it was a little. It was like two thousand twelve. Actually, it was right after Archbishop Chaput was appointed there, about two thousand eleven or twelve. But um, there was a focus on Philadelphia, and then uh, there was a, a a priest who was caught doing like some human trap i mean yeah ba- basically some human trafficking in the altoona johnstown diocese and the investigation of him led to a grand jury report of the whole diocese so after those two grand jury reports for two different dioceses then the uh, attorney general decided to initiate a grand jury report or a grand jury investigation for the entire state for all of the remaining dioceses in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So uh, there was no, there was no reference to the Sandusky case. There was no, although I, I have heard, I think I heard something about investigating the colleges and universities now as a consequence of the Sandusky case, you know, a little bit delayed. Um, I can't, I, I'd have to look into that, but anyway, no, the, the focus was entirely on the church and um, again, a little bit, and, and then there's, you know, there's been discussions. The attorney general tried to open up the statute of limitations to prosecute people from crimes that were committed more than, I think there's about a 10-year statute of limitations on uh, 10 years from the age of majority. So if somebody were abused at, you know, age eight or something, it would be 10 years from when they turn 18, I think is the statute of limitations. Part of the reason you have a statute of limitations is not to let people get off, but is because when you start talking about remembering details of events that took place 20, 30, 40 years ago, witnesses are dead, memories are confused, and it starts to become an unfair process. Um, but then even the, the question about lifting the statute of limitations was really focused on the church. Uh, in the public schools, for example, where there's probably a much higher incidence, I think there is statistically definitely a much higher incidence of uh, child abuse um, school teachers are 
prevented are, are protected by law from being uh, sued or the schools are so they can still sue the dioceses for uh, civil the civil cases I don't think are protected by the same statute of limitations anyway I'm starting to get into legal territory that's a little fuzzy for me but the point is that there has been uh, a little too much focus on the church to the exclusion of other areas again please focus on the church and um, the the bishops the holy father himself have really thanked and praised the media like the boston globe and the secular uh legal structures like the uh, Pennsylvania uh, attorney general for exposing this issue. Thank you. Thank God. Uh, may we never hide anything horrific like this. May we, that would be the worst thing for our own salvation <laughs> to do that. So by all means, expose everything in the church. And that's sort of what the church is trying to do for herself now, but it helps to have an outside agency. That's not, held back, you know, we have a natural deference for bishops and priests, you know, we don't, we want to think the best of them. And rightly so we want to, we don't want to have a suspicious eye. We want to have trust. We're not the best people to adjudicate ourselves or investigate ourselves. We need outside groups to do that. That's really helpful, but in justice, let's do that across the board. And again, that was, you know, part of the address, the closing address of Pope Francis, which I thought was so powerful from the extraordinary synod in February on this topic was let's take it on in the whole world. You know, let's, let's drive it out of the church first and foremost. Absolutely. Let's not stop there, but really take on this, this issue across the board. And so hopefully that's, that's going to keep happening. Um, but we'll, 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 we'll see and have to have to pray for that. And, and in the meantime, again, we're, we're trying to implement these things in our own, spheres as much as possible. Bishop Zubik put out the pastoral letter after all of the listening sessions in the Diocese of Pittsburgh and formulating a more comprehensive approach. Much was done, and Pittsburgh was ahead of the curve uh, with things that were done even before 2002. Those measures, that's why Bishop Zubik referenced, I think, 1990. A lot of the measures were put place in place in Pittsburgh before the rest of the country. Um, and then obviously in 2002, that was spread through the Dallas charter in a mandated way across the country. And now, you know, I think Pittsburgh's going to try and be ahead of the curve, stay ahead of the curve uh, again in, in dealing with some of these things. Yeah, obviously it, it it's an important issue. Um, it, it's had a lot of significant negative consequences. So you can see the dilemma as you think about people trying to hide it is that, you know, across the board attendance has dropped because of this and it's, it's a significant problem. So if you're, if you're sitting there um, as, as someone who has to make decision of, of reporting this up the chain and making um, an ordeal with the possibility of losing a great percentage of your parish, or trying to fix this behind closed doors, there's a tremendous temptation to do it, you know, off screen, if you will. And you can kind of see where people with good intentions could easily go awry with that starting point. Not to justify it, just to saying that this is how people 
think, and, and there's some logic behind it. And you can also see from the outside world why the church would be a, a, some group that you would go after. You kind of outlined it a little bit. You know, the, the Catholic Church, um, I know this because I've grown up in it compared to, not, I don't necessarily know all the other ones, has a structure in place, has something that you can attack to say you are in a position of, of charge, you have a hierarchy, and it's also a very big organization so therefore it it has built-in systems unlike something that would be just a pastor creates a church and just starts preaching and then disappears 10 years later Um, there's no real structure to that so there is a history that inevitably exists i mean it goes back to easter um or i guess pentecost um is when the uh the church began so Inevitably, I think that that makes it a system. And then you look at governments making their own exceptions so they can't be in trouble. It's not really a surprise either, going along the same lines. So we've got none of this being excuses, but thought processes about, at least you can see how someone with originally good intentions, how it could go wrong like this. Talking about the bishops, as as you were discussing there, which was... Part of the goal of what the Pope was trying to address here uh, just a couple months or a couple weeks ago. So, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack that might cause a a side tangent that that I'm not trying to do here. But I think highlighting the fact that we are, as a faith, trying to address the problem and come out better for everyone from it. And also, also to keep things in perspective that it, while the damages are horrific in any individual instance statistically speaking there are far less individual instances within the church than there are in any other facet of society so it's 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 an important thing to to factor in yeah which you would expect and you would hope for you know it's uh one as you as you said you know one is too many one is infinitely too many. So there's there's no room for any abuse in the church. I mean, it should be the safest place in the world for children. It should be. So so we want to be really clear, and that's that's the process we're in, is is making sure doing everything we possibly can. I mean, sin is everywhere, evil is everywhere. You know, you can't you can't make a perfect protection against these things at a human level. And, uh, but, but certainly doing everything that we can to make that happen. And, and I'm happy to talk about it. Um, because as you said, Joe, you know, well, uh, the, the PR is like all over the place. It's, you know, what sells newspapers, especially when people have a mixed agenda, you don't always hear the things that happen, you know, it's exciting when the grand jury report comes out and the big numbers, thousand victims, 300 abusers, you know, uh, and, and we keep touting these things. There was an excellent article in uh, Commonweal, uh, oh gosh, just uh, about two months ago, maybe, uh, no, back in December, I guess. Yeah, about two months ago, three months ago, um, that really looked in detail because the grand jury report in Pennsylvania was like 1,100 pages. Nobody read the whole thing. Oh, sure. And they came out with articles the same day. 
mm-hmm. just based on the kind of executive summary. But there's a an investigative reporter uh, in New York, I think, who actually took the time to read the whole thing, to track down all the cases, to really separate out what are the significant documented horrific stories, how many are the things that were like an accusation that was never founded and – you know, anyway, he actually took the time to read the entire report and see what's really there. Um, there's no requirement for the submission of evidence either with a grand jury report. So they can put anything they want in it. Uh, now, you know, hopefully they're not just making stuff up. They're getting that from somewhere. But all of the normally you do a grand jury investigation preceding a trial, which has all of the standards for submission of evidence and protection of the rights of the accused and all that stuff. None of that occurs in the in the grand jury report. Anyway, yeah, he went a, through. That's an important distinction. There is no representation of the defense in a grand jury report, uh, regardless of your state. Um, and in fact, actually, in some states, I don't know if we're one of them, but I know New York is for sure. Um, they don't even need to have proof that the evidence is real. Um, so that's a a fact. Um, like I, said, I don't know if Pennsylvania is one of those or not. Um, but yeah, so so I can see that there there could be some situations that were exaggerated wrong. And as you mentioned before, you know, the grand jury report brought up stuff that's obviously well past the expiration date in terms of the law. Um, and part of that is, is, you know, there's a lot of people who don't remember what they did yesterday, let alone what happened 17 years ago. And there is significant facts that people going through trauma have a less percentage chance of identifying facts correctly when pertaining to the trauma than to other facets of their life. Um, It's just a thing. So, which makes sense. Your mind's probably trying to block something out. You don't want to remember it as well. Um, And it it just makes sense. So obviously we kind of got a, a, a situation where we know what the bad stuff happened but I think that there's also a lot of calling for what are we doing next to, to correct this. And with that um, conference just happening a couple of weeks ago, I, I don't know if there's any concrete answers or yet, but I do know that you're in a unique spot because you're in charge of developing seminaries or is that the proper term? Seminaries? Seminarians. Seminarians. Yeah. That's it. I work in a seminary. Yeah. Yeah. So what my question is, is that obviously the Dallas report happened in, in 2002, you know, kind of for new priests entering into the fold, what about this topic is addressed directly? I know that we can't break down all of the training that they go through because I'm sure it's way more than I ever had for my job. But nonetheless, if we can cover um, just some of the things that they're doing to essentially make sure that this doesn't happen anymore or at least significantly reduce the likelihood? Well, we do have uh, psychological testing for all seminarians, and that's been mandated since, uh, gosh, certainly since I entered the seminary in, in 98, uh, entered the monastery in 98. Um, but I think that really became more universal like in the 90s to have psychological testing. Maybe it goes farther back than that. I'm not sure. Um and so that's that's up front and and people would be just excluded you know if they had some of the signs of pedophilia or something like that um then then we also have obviously a significant 
focus on celibacy and some, uh, you know, formation around that. I mean, pornography is a huge issue in our society. And so making sure that we have priests that don't have issues with pornography is significant. Um, and so there's, there's a, a lot of formation around celibacy. We have a formation course, you know, about 10 hours on theology of the body. We have a celibacy seminar every year. We also, uh, all of the seminarians get the uh, virtus training and are, are required to, we also become mandated reporters. And so we get the mandated reporter training in terms of how to uh, report when the obligation is there to report uh, any potential incidents of, of abuse, of, of child abuse. Um, and then every seminarian has a spiritual director and uh, with whom he meets twice a month. And in that spiritual direction, uh, now I'm, that's what I do. I am the spiritual director for the seminary. I, so I meet with, a I don't know, about a third of the seminarians. And then I select the spiritual directors who meet with the other ones and we make sure that we have excellent spiritual directors. So that's a, that's a really important part of seminary formation. Again, the, the increased emphasis on regular spiritual direction and following up on making sure that's happening is uh, more recent since the, since the 90s. So um, that's significant. Then every seminarian also has a formation director and that formation director, you know, has some responsibilities. We, we also provide psychological counseling because one of the things about the seminary environment is it does bring up issues. People's issues uh, start to come out. And so uh, we want to be able to handle those issues, get people into some counseling if they need it. And we really encourage those, you know, issues to come out. And, and that's not a strike against them as long as it's stuff that they can actually work through. So uh, there's, yeah, there's, you know, the formation process is anywhere from uh, six to eight years. It will soon become like eight to 10 years. <laughs> so it's a lot of formation. And, and we do, you know, uh, we ask people to leave and people decide to leave as they get to know themselves better and, and realize they're not being called or they don't have the human capacity to live out the vocation of priesthood. And so that's, that's all real. And, and we take all that very seriously. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost counterintuitive. I mean, I, I understand why we're increasing the amount of training. Um, obviously the, the thought process behind that is more training will translate to better priests and the more better priests, the better off everyone is. But you're also looking at a situation that that's a very hard decision to make because the facts remain is we need priests right now and we're making it harder for people to become priests. So it's that's a very hard decision to make in the face of of the facts in front of you um, and probably the right decision. But it's still nonetheless a, a very hard choice to do given given the facts. So father, obviously we covered a lot over these last two episodes. I want to give you a chance to, to cover anything that, that you feel needs some extra emphasis or that we missed as we conclude today's cast. Well, I guess I would just say, you know, for, for it's, it's just impossible to get the balance right in talking about these things. And so I just, I can't help, but feel after 
you know, talking to podcasts on child sexual abuse in the church that I'm sure that I've gotten the balance a little bit wrong. You know, we should try never to be defensive or to justify, well, the church isn't as bad as other places. Anything is terrible, you know. Um, on the other hand, uh, to to not sufficiently reverence the kind of suffering that people have gone through and how how sensitive these issues are and how lifelong those things are. Um, you know, in order to talk through the issue, we have to sort of move past some of that, not move past it, but speak about it a little bit more abstractly. And I just want to acknowledge, you know, I mean, there's, I, I've talked with a number of people, both who are abused by priests and abused as children by, by other people, uh, members of their own family, primarily. And uh, yeah, I do, I do know how from that, from hearing, you know, I don't know personally, but I do know from hearing how, how terrible it is. And so just want to, you know, it's one of the problems with uh, some of the PR things. It's like, it's hard to give the big picture because we have to, we rightly have to focus on the victims and, and not justifying and not making excuses and not downplaying in any way. And so um, anyway, I just want to express that I'm aware of that. And if I've done it, it's for the sake of trying to speak about the, the whole, the whole picture as, as much as I can. Um, but I, I do, I, I have a lot of hope that we're really moving in the right direction to make significant changes. And like Pope Francis said, I, you know, certainly in the church and I hope in the whole world to really protect the little ones. Jesus came for the little ones and we also have to have a heart for them so so anyway thanks for bringing up the topic and giving us a chance to talk talk through all these things perfect and we will be changing the topic next week we're, we're not going to continue this for uh for for much longer so we will be returning to the food clothing and shelter series um that we started uh two months ago i guess at this point so um, we'll be returning there next week we, we thank everyone for listening and we'll be with you next week